All right, brothers and sisters, please take your Bibles. Let's go to uh, Isaiah 61. And uh, let me hasten to say that I did not pick out this topic. Your pastor assigned it to me. And, uh, and as he has, I've been very grateful that he did. It's been good for me. Let me also hasten to say that uh, if you were here in Sunday school, you, you know that uh, there was a point in time in which I put together a proposal uh, to share with my elders about uh, our transi- transitioning to Atlanta, that possibility of uh, going there as missionaries in the inner city and the west side. Uh, just to encourage you with another, I've got a whole list of God's obvious providences of how he's put this together. One, uh, no small providence, was that uh, the very day that I was, had prepared this, uh, I'd spent a week in Atlanta, I'd prepared this proposal, I was going to give it, and I did give it to the elders uh, in that, on that Sunday afternoon. Well, that Sunday morning, your pastor, Nick Kennecott, preached in our church. And he preached from Ecclesiastes 11.1, uh, where the writer says, Cast your bread upon the waters, and they will have a return. And uh, the people were blessed by that. Uh, but when I sent my proposal out to the elders that afternoon, which they didn't know was coming, and, and I didn't know what he was going to preach on, that was exactly what our elders, like, their jaws dropped, like, wow. It is God that gave his word in the morning and that proposal in the afternoon for us to cast our bread upon the waters, to try things, even though it may uh, fail. Uh, there, you, you invest things and you sow if you're going to reap. And uh, don't worry about failure. Don't worry about what may happen or uh, uh, the losses you may suffer. But in faith, you obey God and trust him no matter what. God really used that sermon and your pastor in our church, in our lives, and what uh, we are going to be seeking to do. So I'm very indebted uh, to your pastor and you as a body of believers here. Very thankful. Well, Pastor Nick did ask me to speak on the subject of the poor. And uh, the scripture indicates uh, there's so much, as he mentioned, about uh, treatment to the poor in the scripture. But one thing that uh, is just clear to me is that God has a special love for the poor. He has a special regard for the poor. So many people in this world are suffering the hardships of poverty. And they're suffering in ways that many of us can live our lives and never notice, never see them. We don't connect. We don't, uh, we can, it's easy to maneuver our lives and the day-by-day ongoings of, of uh, where we traffic and not notice and end up, not because we don't care, but if you don't notice and it doesn't become a burden on your heart, you, essentially we don't end up caring. So I'd like to speak to us on how much God loves the poor. And uh, as I do, let me begin by giving clear biblical assumptions, uh, or even they could be considered disclaimers, as I, uh, we are here in the scripture considering uh, the poor. 
Six of them. Number one, God has ordained the sanctity of personal property. When a man works and earns his income, that is his income. He buys his land, he builds his house, he gathers possessions. That's his personal property. And the scripture, in fact, the law of God in in the eighth, Eighth Commandment, says that we are not to assume we can take another man's personal property. It belongs to him. It's not for the government to come along and redistribute the wealth, take one man's wealth and give it to another man. That wealth belongs to that man. God has given it to him and has used his own labors and ingenuity and skill in obtaining that property or those valuables. And it's for him as a steward of God to use them for the glory of God. Second disclaimer. If a man doesn't work, a man doesn't get to eat. We see that in 2 Corinthians 3 where the apostle said this, For you you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, we're living today in an entitlement society. And it has been very easy for a man to eat and not work. To be given and to depend upon that. When he's perfectly able to live uh, and work, it's very easy to live upon government supply. Thirdly, diligence leads to prosperity. We see that in Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Or Proverbs 21, 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. In other words, hard work brings reward. Fourthly, The way of happiness is not to be found in wealth. That is not where happiness will come to your soul. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Gather, 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 and you'll never be satisfied. It's been said, money makes a lousy lover. The more you love it, the less it satisfies. The more you focus on it, the less it delivers. Someone asked John D. Rockefeller, how much more money does he want to get? And he said, just a little bit more. And aren't we that way? The more we get, the more we want. It doesn't do the trick of satisfying the soul. The Rolling Stones had it. 
I can't get no satisfaction. It's just not to be found in the gathering of wealth or in the, in the experiences you might uh, think you can have in your life. Pleasure or whatever. Number five. God sovereignly gives men the power to make more or less wealth. The fact that some men are rich and some men are poor ultimately is because God has decreed it to be. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. He's the one that puts it in a man, the intelligence, the intellectual acumen, the creativity, the courage, the insight, the discernment, the motivation. He's the one that makes one man to differ from another man. It is not for us, if God has made you to be an ear in the body, to covet that of the place of the eye. And if God has made you to be a blue collar, it is not for us to covet the white collar. God makes the difference. Now, God does put within the uh, hearts of some blue collars to try different things and new things and voila, they might become white collars. But it is God ultimately that makes the difference in men. And number six, without Christ, the poor will be in hell as well as the unbelieving rich. When it comes to going to heaven, there is no special providence with regard to the poor. No special dispensation. Jesus says that unless a man is born again, he will never see the kingdom of God. So whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you are educated or whether you dropped out of school when you were in grade school, no matter What your plight or plot in life, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, unless you have been born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. We come to Isaiah. And in chapter 62, or 61 rather, we read how that Jesus, the Messiah at some point, would be noted as that anointed one. And in sixty Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. That would make him the Christ, the anointed one. And that is so that the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. 
God has sent Christ into this world to rescue. And he is sent to the poor, as well as to others who are broken, dysfunctional, in sorrow and anguish, people of all types. And if you'll turn over to Luke and chapter 4. The prophecy that Isaiah gave 750 years before Jesus came that we just read, we find listed for us in Luke and chapter 4 in the very life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 4 and verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Messiah had come, Jesus Christ. And he was going to bring a message of good news. And in particular, to those who never hear any good news. And you'll notice if you turn to Luke 7 and verse 22, in a time where John the Baptist was in prison and he needed some encouragement. And Jesus says in Luke 7, 22, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. You find in the Lord Jesus Christ being sent from the Father a particular love, a special love for those who are poor. I'd like to give you four points today with regard to this very thing of the heart of God, the heart of love for the poor. Number one, there are special miseries in being poor. There are special miseries in being poor. For the poor, life is but a struggle for survival. To gather food, clothing, shelter, transportation, medical treatments. The poor end up just struggling with life, languishing, Struggling with loneliness. Who wants to be their friend? Who wants to hang out with the poor in their hopelessness? Poverty is a hard life. It's true for the rich. They have their difficulties in life as well, but those difficulties are compounded for the poor. If you'll turn to Luke 16, you see where Jesus speaks of the rich man and Lazarus. 
And in Luke 16, if you look in that section beginning in verse 19, here is the rich man, and at his gate there's a poor man named Lazarus, and Lazarus is laying there at the gate covered with sores. Well, the poor man died. Lazarus died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And what that tells us right off is that both the rich and the poor will die. You will die. I will die. We all will die. There's a day appointed for each one of us to die, and we will either go to heaven or we will go to hell. Well, the poor man in this case died, was carried to Abraham's side. The rich man died, ended up in hell. And being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish, I am in torment In this flame. But Abraham said, verse 25, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. There's a difference between the rich and the poor. And the poor have special miseries that they have to live with. Their life is characterized by having to deal with and survive through bad things. While the rich, though they're just as lost and on their way to an eternal hell as any poor man without Christ, yet in this life they have an abundance of things. It is said... A common phrase is they have a comfortable supply. In Ezekiel 16, 49, the writer says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. They had pride. They had excess of food. And they had prosperous ease. And they did not aid the poor and the needy. They had more than they could use. But they were greedy and selfish. They loved their money, they loved their comfort, and they were keeping it to themselves while there were others who were poor and needy. When you're When you have a comfortable supply, you can just afford a lot of things to make life easier. Traveling the world, as Kathy and I did for a time, it was good for us. I remember being in Africa once and uh, among the Rendili people up in northern Kenya. And we'd go to different villages. They were called gobs, G-O-O-B. It looks like goobs, but it's gobs. And uh, there could be anywhere from five of the huts to 25 or 50 huts where they would gather together and they would be something of a tribal family. They had their own system of justice and, and uh, caring for one another. And um, 
I remember going to one, and there was a Christian young man that was traveling with us, and he was translating for us into the Rindili language. And we went to his own home village, and his father was there, Daniel Galali's father. And I remember being in this hut, and his name was Galali, his last name. He was just, that's the way you say, refer to them there. And he was laying in his hut, and he had malaria. Went to another gob, there was a woman that was laying in the dirt outside her hut, and I remember her coughing up blood, and just in pure misery. And we just had some basic things, Tylenol and whatnot, and gave her what we could, but remember just feeling so sorry for folks living out, way out in the bush, having so little to give them any of any kind of comfort in their affliction at all. The huts they lived in, um, the Rindili at least, they, they'd take branches and they'd bend over, make domes, and they'd sink them six inches into the ground all the way around. They knew how to shape them so that they kind of had uh, uh, leaned one way and they knew where the winds would come from, and they were very sturdy in the way they could build them. And at least with the Rindili, they would cover them with uh, clothing, tin cans that they would flatten out, um, other animal skins, anything they could find. They'd cover these huts, and that's what they lived on. And they, had, they were herders. They had camels and goats and sheep. And, and so uh, they'd cover the inside floor with camel skins, and that's what they slept on, fire pit in the center of the hut, and uh, they'd sleep on. And I remember being there... Uh, in this hut, and it's not real comfortable to lay on this camel skin for for a few hours as we had Bible studies, but Galali, that was his home, that's where he slept, and that's where he suffered with malaria. And I remember the anguish, the just difficulty of him living there with malaria. Well, I went home back to Pennsylvania, and a few weeks later, I came down with some malaria, um, all of a sudden, before a Sunday night service, uh, about 4.30, I'm laying, sitting on the couch, getting just about ready to get up and get ready to go, and I began to shake, violently shake. And for an hour, I would shake, and uh, I was starting to hurt. I was shaking so hard. And um, after an hour, shaking all of a sudden stopped. Temperature went sky high, and... Uh, I was not very comfortable. And I I kept thinking about Galali. And I kept saying to myself, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to complain. And I was thinking of the differences. I'm laying on this cushy couch. There's my refrigerator stocked with anything I wanted. Got central air. I could turn the heat up or, or turn it down. I've got a television to occupy my thoughts. I've got a wife who could go take care of me, get me juice, go to the pharmacy and get me any kind of medication I wanted. All these comforts, all this supply. And I had that, but Galali didn't. Wow. You know, in some of those tribes, one guy, another guy in pastoral training, we 
I was talking to him about his life, and he had a wife and two children. They lived uh, in a hut in a different types of type of tribe, different place. And and I'd ask him, well, he's, he'd come down and study. And I said, well, do you not have a job? He says, no, I really don't. Well, how do you eat? Where do you get your food? He said, well, we have a corn patch, and we, we grow corn. And um, I said, well, is that enough to eat? What do you get from it? He, how do you... How do you eat? And he says, well, we just get our corn. We have basically a cornmeal mush. Well, how many meals a day? One. A cornmeal mush. If he's blessed, he can maybe kill a chicken and make some uh, chicken broth and pour over the, the bowl of mush. That's what he and his wife and children had to eat once a day. And he was there for pastoral training and and wanted to be a pastor and lead people into a knowledge of Christ. Really did know and love the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that's how poor they were and typical of people in their village. Do you know kids where, people like kids in those areas where they get their soccer balls? Well, people come through and they might give them some handouts and oftentimes it's in plastic sacks. Like you go to the store today or tomorrow or whenever and you get some groceries and they put your groceries on a plastic sack. Well, if you gather enough of those, you can bundle them together and take some tape and you make your soccer ball. And those kids are running around out in the dirt and out in the bush and they're playing with that kind of a soccer ball. They may be wearing a loincloth or not. Went to another tribe down in, uh, in Namibia, Africa, and uh, right up against the border of Angola. I mean, out in the middle of nowhere. And um, there's a lot of people live out there. Came across a school that our missionary knew about, and he, we'd brought boxes of clothes for kids and went out there and, and uh, gave them to him. We went to found this school. It was actually an army tent, a government tent that uh, had been put up government put a couple of teachers out there and the kids came and so that was their school big tent one room school and the kids would be there uh it was really nice to see them outfitted we had a picture before where they just wear loincloths and then afterwards they were wearing you know our western had shirts sweatshirts and pants or shorts or whatever and it was, it was really cold in the mornings. The kids would be sitting in their little schoolroom, shivering cold. When the sun finally came up, it warmed things up and they were okay. But they sure loved having some clothes to wear. Their first clothes to wear. You know where the school drinking fountain was, kids? They, there's a, a, a sandy ravine outside uh, uh, over about oh, 100 yards from their schoolroom, and they'd go over there and do what the animals do. They'd dig down deep enough until they hit water. The kids are there, and they'd dig and dig, and pretty soon there's water. That's what their school drinking fountain was for the day. There's poverty in this world. And we get used to a certain level of poverty here in our nation, and yet we don't have a clue of what poverty really is. I I looked it up, 
and to find out what the poverty line is in the United States. And the poverty level is $14,600 a year, fourteen six for each person. And then you add people to a family, and that would be 4200 per person. And so for a family of four, the poverty level is $23,000. Well, how much people I've met in different countries, be it Africa or China or South America or Indonesia, that would just love to have $23,000 a year. Now, they certainly don't have the expenses that we have to deal with in our culture. But nonetheless, uh, the... Many of the very poor among us are quite wealthy compared to poor around the world. And life is hard. Just craving the basics. Just craving a little bit more to eat. A little bit more to wear. A little bit more of a shelter. A little bit more medical. A little bit more clean water. Well, there's special miseries for the poor. Secondly... God, I believe, from the scripture, demonstrates that he has a special compassion for the poor. He takes note of the need of provisions for the poor. So in Luke 9, or Leviticus 19, he tells us people that when you go out and you begin to strip your vineyard, you don't strip it bare. Neither shall you gather gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And you do that with your wheat fields too when you're cutting down the grain. Don't take all the sheaves that you leave behind you. Leave some for the poor who will come and have something to gather for themselves. God has a special care for the poor. Deuteronomy 15, if you, if among you one of your brothers becomes poor, if any of uh, within your towns, within your land, that the Lord your God's giving you, you shall, they become poor, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. Another verse, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and the poor in your land. When you read the Psalms and the Proverbs, listen to these. Psalm 41.1 Blessed is the one who considers the poor in the day of trouble the Lord delivers him. Proverbs 14.21 Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 19.17 Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 21.13 Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Proverbs 28.27 Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. And Proverbs 31.9 Open your mouth, judge righteously, Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. In Isaiah 25, in verse 4, it is said of God this, God, you have been a stronghold for the poor, a stronghold for the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. God 
takes special note and has special regard for the poor. You remember in Luke 18 and in Mark 20, when God, Mark 19, when a rich young ruler comes to Jesus, what is it that Jesus tells him to do? If you will go to heaven, we'll take all your possessions, sell it, and give the money to the poor. He could have given him all kinds of other instructions. And I understand that this man's particular issue was loving his money, loving his possessions. And what Jesus told him to do was in particular designated to show him his greedy, self-righteous heart. But still, Jesus could have told him to take that money and give it to the temple. But no, Jesus said, take that money... And give it to the poor and come and follow me. Look at Jesus, how he has dignified being poor. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, hold your horses. Do you realize that I don't have a bed to sleep in? I don't have a roof over my head. The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man does not have anywhere to lay his head. He's poor. Jesus knows what being poor is. Talking to a man just a week ago, he said, I grew up watching the chickens underneath through the floor of my house. My plumbing was outside in another hut. I know what being poor is. But the fact that the Son of God left the riches of heaven, came to live, he lived among the poor. That was his chosen cultural incarnational lifestyle, was to live a life of poverty. And he dignifies poverty. There's no greater value to a rich man than there is to a poor man. They're men. Made in the image of God. And I'm telling you, talking to men like Galali that suffers in a hut with malaria and he's a goat herder, there's ways in which I could sit at the feet of that man and I'm humbled in his knowledge and skill of survival in those kinds of conditions that I myself put me out there by myself Good luck, Bob. Being poor is no indicator of the value of a person. And if you're poor, and this goes to uh, Jason's gospel rap song about identity, don't base your value for you as a person based upon whether you're rich or you're poor, or you're richer or poorer than the people around you. You're a person that God loves. And you're a person whose value is such that He would send His Son to die in your place to redeem you from your sin. That's how valuable you are. And in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, 
Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. There is a way to become rich, though you are poor. And that way is to be found in Jesus Christ the Savior. And though you may be as poor as a church mouse, you can be the wealthiest guy in town if you have Jesus Christ. Number three, we are to have special efforts to reach out in compassion to the poor. Jesus came with good news, and that's really what we are to be about, is giving good news to those that never hear anything but bad news. Jesus in Luke 14 said this, but when you, make, when you give a feast, who are you going to invite? Can invite the folks that you most enjoy being with? The folks that entertain you? The folks that uh, maybe you hope to uh, uh, get closer to for whatever reasons that might benefit you? But when you give a feast, Jesus said, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Then the master of the house said to his servant, go out quickly the streets, into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Feed them, clothe them, console them, cheer them. Sure, there's times when we want to have our friends in and want to have times with family. That's all well and good. But the question is, are there any times in which we make a concerted effort to find poor people and bring them into our home and feed them and love them, connect with them and encourage them and give them hope. Jesus said the criterion for the final judgment will be, well... You sheep on my right hand, you've, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I, when I was sick, you came and took care of me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. I was lonely, and you, you came and you were with me. And those sheep will say, but Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or sick? or lonely, in prison, when did we ever do And he says, in that you did, the, did those things unto the least of these, you did them unto me. And to those goats on his left hand, he will say to them, depart into everlasting fire. You are so wrapped up in yourselves, in your own lives. You didn't. You saw me in hungry, thirsty, in prison, sick. You took no notice. You made no efforts. Lord, when did we do that? When did we see you in those conditions and didn't reach out to you? And he says, well, in that you didn't, didn't do it unto the least of these. You, you didn't do it unto me. There really ought to be special efforts among us. First, among the household of faith. 
and then those who are living around us that are living just barely surviving in, in misery, without hope, with broken, dysfunctional lives, look at them and, and have compassion upon them in such a way that we must, we cannot just sit with our comfortable supply and entertain ourselves to death while others are in anguish. Jesus is not only very God, the judge of all the earth, the mighty prophet, that high, great high priest and that king of all kings. But guess what? He's a friend to the poor. And normally that's when you lose friends like the prodigal. He, he wasted all his abundance and all his friends disappeared. But Jesus is a friend to the poor. And when you've lost everything and everybody has gone elsewhere, abandoned you, there's one that, who sticks closer than a brother. There's one who will be your friend. There's one that you can count upon. His name is Jesus. What a faithful friend he is. He's a physician to the diseased heart. Those who are well don't need a physician. He's a deliverer to the soul in bondage. And if we will be like Christ, we'll reach out in love. And fourthly, there are special promises of God's blessings to the poor. Special promises of God's blessings to the poor. We turn to James in chapter 2 for our last text. James 2, and you'll find in that we are not to be a respecter of persons. We're not to value one person above another because one is more well-to-do or more successful than another. And in James 2, in verse 2, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and, and there's a poor man in shabby clothing who comes in, and if you pay attention to the one that wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in this good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Oh, that's great. Verse 5, he said, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor? Poor in this world to be rich in faith. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? It's like the generality of God's elect are the poor of this world. God has chosen the poor. He's not chosen so many wealthy men, rich men. And if you're rich here today, you really ought to fear for your soul. If you've not had business with Christ, if you've not realized how really poor in spirit you really are, and don't take comfort in the fact that, that you can meet, meet all the challenges that this life can throw at you because you have a comfortable supply. Just know that God can take all of that away in a moment. And you are left naked before the, before the God of all the earth. But God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. He's chosen the poor of this world to be heirs of the kingdom. Well, those who 
love him. He's promised these things to those that love him. Now that's true with the rich and to the poor. But if you're poor, just know this, that God has a special interest in bringing you this good news today. You can be rich in faith. And it'll make all the difference in how you perceive yourself and the realities of life. It'll set in perspective your afflictions and your trials. It'll make you to have a contentment in your soul, having Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. He will be your abundance, and you'll be able to see through the facade and the mirage of what riches are about in this life. And having, being able to see those things in perspective, you will have a contentment and a peace that though you really are poor in this life, you really are rich in faith. And you'll recognize that I really am an heir of the kingdom of God, such that in Hebrews 11, those strangers and pilgrims that walked the face of the earth, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one because God is not ashamed to be called their God. And Jesus is not ashamed to be called their brother. And he's right ready to stand with them in everything they go through and face in this life. No matter how heartbreaking, no matter how disappointing, and no matter how much of anguish you may feel in this world, there is Jesus Christ the Lord who's your brother with you at your side. And God your Father who's going to shepherd you and bring you to that heavenly kingdom where you are an heir of God. And how shocking one day for the rich man to wake up in hell and realize that is what I get for all eternity. But that poor man, he embraced Jesus. His heart was transformed and he he saw life for what it was and he lived for another world. And there he is today enjoying the good things of that eternal kingdom. To the poor, there's a kingdom. There's an amazing grace making them heirs of the kingdom of God. He's promised to those that love him. To the poor, he makes you kings and priests. To the the poor, he makes you rulers over cities. He'll put a crown on your head and there'll be a throne that you'll sit upon. And there'll be all the food and clothing you can ever, you can never imagine the extent of. It's out of this world. In that kingdom, there's relief from your sorrows. There's rest from your labors. From all the hard and taxing labors and afflictions you face in this life. It's a crazy abundance that you have in Jesus Christ. Rich in faith now. Heirs of that kingdom then. What more could we want? So I say to us, let's go get them. Let's go get the poor. Let's invite them into our homes. Let's come alongside them with the light and the love of Jesus Christ. Let's help them to see that there really is hope in this world and certainly hope for the next. Help them to see that there is a friend who will stick with them through thick and thin. 
there is an abundance for the soul that they can have, that they can rest upon and live upon and trust in for all their days until they reach that kingdom of God. Let's find ways, let's create ways to get near to those poor people around us in this world that are in anguish. Have compassion, bring the good news, and they will become, by God's grace, rich in faith. Most of us in life have goals. We have plans to be able to get to that next level of nice house. Get to that next level of nice car. And that's all well and good. And if you're able to, I'm your biggest supporter. If, if, for all of us, if we do it in perspective and in balance, while at the same time, We're loving the poor. We're reaching out to the poor. We're ministering to the poor. Having a compassion for the poor. But if we have to to meet those goals and have those plans, if we've got to use everything we make for ourselves, that's sin. And it's just contrary to the gospel good news of Jesus Christ. Let's hold out Christ the Savior of sinners, the friend of the poor. God bless you.